Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. What does the sorrow in your life tell you about your heart? It tells you a lot, both good and bad. James is going to show us today how the sorrow in your life is a crucial tool for diagnosing your spiritual health. After after all that, James finally wraps it up in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Right back to that. That's the bottom piece of bread in the humble sandwich. Remember in verse 6, he started started this whole discussion, verse 6, about humility. Now at the end, humility again. The whole thing is wrapped up in humility. And and keeping that in mind is going to help you again from another one of the pitfalls of false repentance. It'll keep you from repentant substitutes. All the repentant substitutes that we've been seeing all the way through this whole last two weeks, turning uh, uh, turning away from sin but not turning to God, things like that, humility will guard you from that. Humility will keep that from happening. Trying to return to God without fighting against Satan... Humility will keep you from that. Failure to wash your hands or your heart, lack of contrition, all those things. Those, those, those substitutes for true repentance. Humility will guard you. I'd like to close our time by taking a look at 2 Corinthians 7. So just go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 7 because this is a, a really important... After a whole sermon on sorrow, I need to, t- I need to show you this passage because... Um, because it has an important warning for us about sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul's going to show us that not all sorrow is good sorrow. Just because you feel bad about your sin doesn't necessarily mean you've repented. Because there's two different kinds of sorrow over sin. One kind drives you toward God, the other one drives you away from God. 2 Corinthians 7.10, godly sorrow brings repentance. It's not repentance, but it brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So the bad kind of sorrow, it pushes you away from God by making you think things like, I'm not worthy to talk to God right now. I've just done this sin, this horrible sin. He's mad at me. I'm just going to steer clear of him until this kind of blows over. I can't pray right now. I can't open up my Bible right now. I'm just too unworthy. That's worldly sorrow. It pushes you away from God. With worldly sorrow, what happens is you're mad at yourself. You're disgusted with yourself. You're disappointed with yourself. You might even want to punish yourself. But from beginning to end, it's self. Right? Focus on self. Or maybe you're, you're, sad, you're sad over your sin. You have sorrow, but it's because you've disappointed certain people. Either way, it's sorrow driven by pride and... And it's, it's not the kind of sorrow that will bring repentance. It'll, it's the kind that will push you away from God, push you towards death. It drives you away from prayer. It drives you away from Scripture. drives you away from fellowship with God's people. All of that is the direction of death. And a great example of the comparison between worldly sorrow that drives you away from God and godly sorrow that drives you toward God is comparing Judas with Peter, Right? Because they both did the same thing. They both betrayed Christ. And they were both really, really sorry. Judas felt bad. He felt so bad. He threw the money away. Right? But it didn't bring him to repentance. It brought him to suicide. 
to death. Peter went out, he wept bitterly, and in his case, he was restored. Why? Because that sorrow led to repentance. It was godly sorrow. So just because you feel bad doesn't mean you're repentant. You can feel sorry enough about your sin to want to kill yourself and still not be repentant. You can be like Judas. So you can tell when your sorrow is godly sorrow because it drives you toward God, not away from him. It'll push you to, to humble yourself before God, to draw near to him. Worldly sorrow will just put you in a bad mood. That's all it'll do. It'll just put you in a bad mood. It'll make you uh, discouraged. It'll make you want to give up. Or it'll make you say, I'm not worthy to talk to God right now, and so you shy away from Scripture and fellowship. Godly sorrow will not, won't do any of that. It's not sorrow or displeasure over yourself. It's not sorrow or displeasure over, over someone else's displeasure with you. Godly sorrow is sorrow over God's displeasure with you, and it always drives you toward God, not away from God. When Peter went out and wept bitterly after denying Christ, it wasn't because he fell short of his own standard. His bitter weeping didn't come until he looked into Jesus' eyes. That's the kind of sorrow he had. It wasn't the sorrow of disappointment in himself for failure. It was the agony of soul that sinned against the Lord that he dearly loved. So that's the full course. Don't let sin discourage you. Don't let it bring you down. Don't let Satan use your sorrow to ruin you by making you want to give up. Have godly sorrow. That's the full course. Ten commands grouped under four headings. Submit to God. Return to God. Wash your hands. Break your heart. Can you remember that? Remember those four things? You'll know how to deal with sin. Submit to God. Return to God. Wash your hands. Break your heart. Or if you want the really short version, submit, return, wash, wail. That'd be easier for you to remember. Teach this to your kids. Make sure they know how to deal with sin in their lives. If you don't deal with sin in your life this way, you have a good reason to question whether you're even saved. Because this is the difference between believers and unbelievers, the way they deal with sin. Unbelievers don't repent, but if you do repent, if you do deal with your sin with these four things, you're going to have greater victory over sin. You're going to have greater intimacy with God. You're not going to have ongoing, lingering guilt feelings going on. Your joy will return, and you're going to have fruitfulness in ministry, and you're going to be able to forgive people. In other words, God will lift you up. And that's how James summarizes this whole section. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This process has been painful, but I can, I, I can tell you from my experience, I've never gone through the whole course of repentacillin without, at the end, God lifting me up. He always does. If you're broken and contrite over your sin, the, good, the news for you is great news because that's where God dwells is with the contrite, right? He's, Jesus pronounced a special blessing. Uh, Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Isaiah 57, 15, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For this is what the high and lofty one says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the spirit of the contrite. The only way up is through the valley. 
Humility is the only way. The mountaintop of joy is out there. But between you, where you are now, and that mountaintop of joy, there's a deep, dark valley of repentance. And there's no other way to that mountain except through that valley. But oh, the glorious joy that awaits on the other side. Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave your Son to die, pay the penalty for all these things we've just confessed to you, even our unrepentance, our inadequate repentance. Father, this isn't the most upbeat message you've ever given us in your word, but that's good because this isn't a circus. It's a church. It's a home. It's your household. And sometimes this is a place where we need to deal with serious things. Better than upbeat and chipper is this promise that you will lift us up. That we are blessed and that you will dwell with us if we are contrite. Lord, that's what we want. Teach us how to repent of our sin. Thank you, Lord, that there's a provision for any sin. Any sin. We can't outsin your grace. Oh, Lord, we thank you so much. Some of the sorrow in our lives is good, and other sorrow isn't. The sorrow that reflects proper values is a very good thing. The sorrow that shows we value something too highly and other things too low, that kind of sorrow exposes some changes that need to be made in our hearts. So what are one or two areas in your life where you'd like to see less sorrow? For example, excessive consternation over losing something that really shouldn't be that important to you. Which things do you value too much? Or another example of bad sorrow, how about ongoing guilt you feel even after having been forgiven for a sin? And then, what are some areas where you'd like to feel more sorrow? This might be something you're undervaluing, like intimacy with God. You sacrifice nearness to Him for some sin, but you don't have much sadness over it because it doesn't really feel like a huge loss. Talk to the Lord about how to increase the amount you value important things and decrease your attachment to those of lesser importance. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.